Uh, my name is Dusty, one of the pastors. Really glad that you're here. Now, if you're like, man, I'm a little bit tired today, I feel you. Um, so I, I coach baseball. It's like pretty much the only other thing I do with my 13U team, with my, my youngest kid. And so I got in about 11 o'clock last night, but never fear, um, caffeinated, ready to go, excited about what I'm talking about. Maybe some of you can relate. So I'm really glad that you are here. Uh, let me tell you the, the, um, just a quick thing before we jump into our time in the Bible, that um, just in terms of getting connected here, that lots of, I've met a lot of new people already today or people that are relatively new that you know, the main way to get connected here is in our gospel communities. That's what we call our small groups. That's like the main stem of involvement. So I wanna in invite you into that. But we also have some other great ways to connect, whether you're newer here or you've been around but wanna get to know a few other people um, other than maybe the, the small group of people that you're connected with, that um, we did an event um, as an example of this just a few weeks ago called If Gathering that we hosted here. There was a great um, equipping event for women with the Bible as well as just connecting. Uh, we're doing something real similar with, uh, for men. Uh, a couple of our members actually had this idea. Landon Sheets, Cade Wilcox um, approached us and said, hey, what about a men's event, which we haven't done a lot of that. And so in a couple of um, weeks, we're going to have a guy named J.R. Vassar that's going to come and speak. It'll be here in Lubbock on Friday night, Saturday morning, um, as a friend of mine and one of the best Bible teachers that I've ever been around. Um, he planted a church in New York. He's a pastor in, um, in the Metroplex now and an incredible Bible teacher. And so he's going to be here. And so this, if you want to get to know other guys and uh, as well as be equipped in some Bible teaching, you ought to be there. So I just wanted to let you know about that, a good connection and equipping event. So um, um, we are, um, we're in Proverbs, and um, I just want to go ahead and let you know the topic up front, just because even though you're like, wait, y'all read Matthew, we're going to get there at the very end uh, from Jesus. But um, we're talking about money, and, um, and this is one of these topics that, that if I were to ask this question, if only I had more, like, fill in the blank, then everything would be great. If only I had more. If, if I had something, it would make everything better. That for a lot of us, that uh, you might not answer something with money, uh, but my guess is, is that you would probably answer something that money could potentially help get you there. So it might be, man, I'm just anxious about the future and all the crazy stuff and Ukraine and our world and the economy and I just, you know, or it might be, uh, man, I just, I, I wish that people thought I was the baller that I am in my heart or something like that. And it could be a lot of different things that you wish them that, that people thought of you in a way or that you had some comforts or sense of control. And a lot of times like money is kind of one of those ways that promises to give you there. And so for a lot of you, if you're like, hey, I wish I had more something, that answer is, man, a hundred bucks. You know, if I could get 10 packets of ramen, fill up my car, everything would be great. I mean, give me some, a little bit of, a little bit of uh, latitude. Somebody else that might be like, no, 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 I'm, I'm past that stage. Uh, if I had a thousand dollars, you know, I could fix my car or maybe, you know, get a sound system in my car, something like that fill up my car with gas, and then, uh, then be, everything would be great. I, mean, I have everything I need. Or somebody else is saying, no, 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 I need 10 grand. I need $10,000 that um, I could pay off. I uh, got a little, bit, uh, a little bit behind on some student debt or, uh, you know, some car, uh, or maybe even more like a, a credit card that I got maxed out, didn't intend to. If I could just pay that off, fill up my car with gas, everything would be incredible. Or somebody else is like, no, no, no I need $100,000. I need $100,000 because um, you know, I, need, uh, I need a down payment for a house or um, I need to, if I could pay off my student loans, it would just free up all that monthly expense. If I had $100,000, I could fill up my car and all that. That's current regular theme. Uh, or somebody else though is thinking on a totally different scale. They're like, man, I need a million bucks. If I had a million bucks, um, the person that asked for a hundred bucks is like, I didn't know I could do that in this exercise. But... <laughs> 
Uh, but somebody else is like, they're sitting around thinking, man, if I had a million, you know, I could buy that second house. Uh, there's a business I could buy that's just out of my reach right now, uh, or something like that. Uh, but, but the interesting thing is regardless of what like scale you're operating under, that most of us still have like a number of, oh, if only I had, then I could get this other thing that, that I've really been wanting. I think it's fair to say that a lot of us even have an emotional reaction to this topic. Like as soon as I say this, you're like, oh, great. You know, I'm at church on the, the money talk day. But here's the thing. Um, even let the fact that your fists are clenching up right now, and perhaps you've had some churches talk poorly about money or maybe misuse money or who knows what over the years, that even the, the kind of triggering emotional response tells you something. And it tells you, so what happens is, is that um, God in Proverbs, speaking through Solomon, it's like, you know, with a, a cup of black coffee, talking to his sons, uh, going, all right, listen to this. Here's the deal about money. You know, that's how I almost imagine it. And he's done that with, we've done that with sex. We've done that with like parenting and family of origin and marriage and our words and emotions. And it's, uh, you know, a father talking to sons. And um, gratefully that God doesn't say, well, because it's so triggering, I'm just not gonna even go there because it's gonna make you mad. So let's just not even do it. That with all of these kinds of topics that are all triggering and painful and emotional and, and interesting and everything else, he, God enters into these spaces with us intentionally because he cares about you. And he's saying, look, I want to point a different way because the way you've been doing it has brought a lot of harm. You're making mistakes, damaging yourself, potentially damaging others. And I want to free you from this. And so because of that, God repeatedly in Old Testament and New Testament, repeatedly, he enters into some of these vulnerable, uh, even triggering spaces with us because of his care and, and love for you. So Proverbs is here to help. So uh, let's listen in uh, to Proverbs, talk to his children. I listen to Solomon talk to his kids um, about one of these real issues. We're gonna look at three categories of money that come up in the book of Proverbs. There are others, but I've kind of grouped them into these three. And um, I'm hopeful that maybe it'll help us a little bit. So here's the first category. First category is gonna be debt. And some of you are like, oh, I'm like super triggered now. So um, that a lot of us are just like, man, I, I really wish I'd have picked a different week to come or something like that. Um, this is one of the more painful things for you. But um, the advice here is gonna be like a, a good plan going forward as well as even to prevent mistakes um, from those that haven't made them already. So let's look at the first, uh, first verse. Uh, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. So this could be money. This could be an, an object. In fact, I was even uh, confronted this morning. I had uh, one of our staff members did some work for me while I was um, out of town uh, this weekend. And she was like, hey, man, did you Venmo me yet? And that's actually a really fair point that, you know, with, especially with modern technology, that if somebody spotted you 20 bucks at Chili's the other day, um, you actually do have it with you at all the time with a lot of our pay apps that we have. Um, why delay payment when you have it with you? Um, even said this a different way. I'm almost surprised right now when I loan out a hoodie or a book or something like that when I actually get it back. Uh, when you actually get something back that you've loaned out, and I think this is the kind of thing that, look, when you have something, go ahead and just return that thing that you, um, you have it. Go ahead and, and, and bring that thing back. Take the initiative. And here, let me just tell you a life principle related to this topic that you may forget and go, oh, man, I forgot that, that she gave me that hoodie or I forgot, oh, yeah, I did, did borrow that 10 bucks. Here's an interesting thing that the, the person who borrows the money or the object or the book or the hoodie that almost always it just falls off your radar 
the person that loaned it to you never forgets, ever. Just think about it. When you, when you spotted somebody 10 bucks, you remember it from like four years ago. That's just the way this whole thing works. So if you owe something, this is just a principle, even if it's, you don't really think of it as a debt, but you borrowed it, just bring it back. You have it with you. Don't say, yeah, I'll do it later. You actually do have it with you on your phone right now. So uh, let's move on to the next one. Proverbs 22, seven. This is super strong language. Uh, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. All right, so this is strong language. Even, you know, our country has a sad past with slavery, but let the language stand here because it's saying similar to how uh, one human being could own another human being, that that's what debt can be like. Now, let me go ahead and nuance this just a hair because I don't think that all debt is equally bad. In fact, um, sometimes debt makes good financial sense. Like for instance, buying a home, um, you know, especially when you're talking about two or 3% interest rates that you know, somebody that bought a home five years ago is feeling pretty good about that you know, with, a, with a reasonable interest rate and all that with the rising cost of construction and property values that generally increase and have increased a lot in the last few years. Redeemer at a couple of different points, not currently, but we've had debt as a church. So I don't think it's like a sinful thing uh, categorically to be in debt. However, I think it's really um, interesting just to listen, let this language stand that um, even if you have a good kind of debt, I still think it is a great goal to try to get out of that debt over long term. Like right now, Redeemer is able to reallocate the money that was going to debt service on this facility expansion here, reallocate that for other ministry. And that's a beautiful thing. Same thing for you, that if you can uh, you know, pay off that home instead of in 30 years and 15 or 20 years, that all that money that was going to the mortgage can get reallocated to saving, giving, other things like that, or to service other debt. Um, the kinds of debt that get particularly painful for us are consumer debt, like credit cards. And if you're just to stop, if I were to stop this, um, this, uh, this service right now and say, all right, we're gonna take a little break. And um, you know, if you're a 35 or older, hold up your hand and you, know, you guys all hold up your hand. And then, uh, and then all right, so if you're under 35, gather around those that are over 35. And here's the topic is the topic is the dumbest financial decisions you've ever made. And uh, you're like, I ain't telling these people that. But let's just say, for instance, that we like uh, forced some truth serum on you and you had to say it, that almost uh, categorically across the room that uh, those over 35 would be like, oh, goodness. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, you know, I didn't have any money. And then I got that first job and I immediately got into way, you know, way too much car and got way too much house and uh, got, you know, maxed out my credit cards. Like there are, there are loads of people in this room that are in their 30s and 40s and 50s that are paying for really bad decisions in their 20s um, that maxed out credit cards and got upside down on car after car after car after car. And uh, so just listen to uh, the, these imaginary voices around this room because they're not imaginary at all. Uh, but even listen to this, it becomes a kind of bondage for you. And then you don't have the flexibility to give and you don't have the flexibility to save. And, and then you don't have any room to do these things. And it's just interesting because um, this is like whispering at the heart here. And this is why God enters into some of these vulnerable places is that what's beneath all this about like borrowing things, whether it's a hoodie or a book or 10 bucks or you know $20,000 on credit cards is what's beneath a lot of that is I should have today what I don't have the money for. And even though I'm 22, 24, 25, and I, I, I was raised my, with my parents who are in their 50s or however old they are, and even though they spent a lifetime to be in that house and have that furniture and ha drive that car, I think at 24, um, I should have that car today. Um, and I think I should have that furniture 
furniture today and I should have that home today. And there's something in there, they're like, ooh, now that, that's getting to a heart issue um, that is, uh, is really significant. So um, I think that, um, that this is just a bit of a warning. Now let me move on to, uh, by the way, just as one last thing, because a lot of us don't have that mom or dad that can you know, drink that, that black coffee. Say, all right, now, no more debt. You know, here's like, you know, you don't have that. And so um, we can listen to Solomon here, give good advice, but we can also, uh, we can also, we have even a tool here that we offer on repeat, Financial Peace University, that can even help you get out of debt if you have made some of those bad decisions or to give you some good practices to not make some of these decisions before you get in there. So just throwing that out there, that there, there are some good equipping tools that we offer periodically here at Redeemer. Uh, Proverbs 17, 18, one last verse on this one. Um, this one kind of hits home to me. Um, it says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. What that means, if you're like, puts up security, what's that mean? It means um, essentially co-signing on a loan. Um, now, here's the thing. These are principles, and it doesn't mean you should never, you should never under any circumstance, um, you know, co-sign a loan for someone. But here's what it does mean, is it means that you just need to be clear on this. If you co-sign a loan for your children, grandkid, nephew, or somebody that's had a hard time, just know this. They didn't buy that house, you did, all right? And your name is what bought them that, and you are gonna be the one that's responsible if and when they stop making payments on it. And I know this firsthand, uh, because even though I care, you're a Bible teacher, shouldn't you know that verse? Well, the problem is always on the application, right? Uh, for preachers or anybody else. So I should have known that, but I actually did a co-signed co -signed a loan for a family member years ago, and right as Redeemer was starting 14 years ago um, that needed a credit card just for regular expenses that we pay off at the end of the month like a lot of you do at home. And it just, it, so it turns out that creditors won't actually give credit cards to institutions that only exist in a guy's brain. Um, so, um, so in other words, like my own, you know, like you, you had to use like an individual was the one that their credit was, you know, uh, um, being used to get a credit card, even if it says Redeemer Church on it. And uh, they wouldn't give me one of those because I found out that um, the person that I co-signed the, uh, put my name up for, that that house was foreclosed on. And my credit was ruined. I couldn't get a credit card for Redeemer. Um, there was not any kind of purchase I could make under my name for seven years because of that. And so, again, these are principles. Doesn't mean you should never put your name up there, but know the cost and know that your name is what's buying someone uh, that home for them or that car for them or whatever. But again, Let's consider the heart here. Um, we can misunderstand and misuse money. And even these proverbs are even just whispering something about, yeah, but why do we want it today? And what are we going for here? What are the things that you think money can get you, even that we're in debt to buy right now? All right, let's move to the second category. This has been good fun, huh? All right, uh, generosity and saving. Generosity and saving. So let's check this out. Uh, proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Um, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And so this is a principle of, look, that be generous with the first thing that you get. And then generally, like I'm still waiting on the first person that says, I was generous and then we ran out of money at the end. You know, that um, when I give to the Lord first, provided that it's within, you know, wise constraints and all that, that I, I haven't seen anybody that's ever said that. The Lord just generally provides. Uh, but 
but the, the idea here is with your first fruits. So if you think about first fruits, um, I, I'm uh, probably the worst gardener farmer in the world, but I have tried to go, grow vegetables um, you know, you know, annually and done a little bit of corn. So imagine that you're a farmer and you're doing corn and, um, and it does help to have water to do corn, by the way. So maybe not, not the best idea in West Texas, but people try. And uh, what first fruits would mean is I'm gonna take that corn and it's the good stuff. I'm gonna take the best corn that I've got, the first fruits, and then I'm giving those. I'm giving those to the Lord to meet needs, to see the kingdom expanded, uh, to fund goers, to plant churches, to do ministry, all that, right? Um, and I'm gonna take the good stuff and then I'm gonna figure out the rest. I'm gonna sell it, do whatever, right? Eat it. Um, but the way that a lot of us tend to do generosity is I'm going to uh, eat and sell um, the, um, the good stuff and then whatever's left over that I didn't necessarily need, you know, the stuff that's kind of black and maybe the insects have eaten a good chunk of that cob there, that's the stuff that I'm gonna give, if at all. And um, it's been really interesting that um, the journey that we were on for the previous two years in our Worth It initiative, where we just as a whole church, like we're like, let's, let's say Jesus is, is worth it with our money and our life. Um, that some of the stories that moved me the most were hearing about families. I could think of two in particular that said, you know, um, you know we, we, this is our starter house. And, you know, we were planning on moving into our forever home, which subtext, I think that's heaven. But anyways, uh, but we, we kind of moving into our forever home and it, for the way they were thinking about it was, you know, we're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, our, the bulk of our money and savings needs to go there. And even, you know, with maybe even stretching ourselves with a debt load that might not be wise, but we're, that's where we want to get, want to get, but listening to families go, actually, we're going to invert that and we're going to give our first fruits to the Lord and we're just going to wait a little bit till it makes a little bit more financial sense or other things like that um, and, and before we, so we can afford it and it's wise, but we actually want to be generous first. And sometimes I would hear these stories, I, oh, really? You sure about that? But I mean, really, the, Jesus being worth it and even hearing... Um, hearing college students that a lot of college students are like, yeah, generosity is for people with money. You know, I don't have any of that. Uh, but they're like, actually, I do have some of that. I mean, I still buy things and a ton of marketing out there exists 100% for you uh, because you buy shirts and things and music and all sorts of things. And going, actually, I want to start to learn to be faithful with a little. I want to start that practice right now at 21. And those kind of things were so powerful when I was hearing about people saying, I, maybe I'm not going to go to the coffee house as much uh, or I'm not going to buy things as much. I'm going to, I'm going to even going to restrict some of my spending so that I can first be generous. And I get th excited to think about that student for generations now, decades now of faithfulness and obedience and freedom. Um, and again, this is where even generosity, it even starts chipping away at the soul about what is it that I love? And this is why God enters into this space because he knows there could be a corrosive um, experience with money that a lot of us experience that generosity is this incredible weapon against and freedom from. Uh, so let's even look at another one. Um, I love this one, Proverbs nineteen seventeen. in the same vein, beautiful. Whoever is generous to the Lord, uh, to the poor, lends to the Lord. How about that? And he will repay him for his deed. So when you meet a need and you help someone uh, fix a car, someone's in a need and you're like, hey man, I'm, I'm just gonna maybe even anonymously give them money and I know that things are hard for you right now and let me help you, that um, it's actually lending to the Lord. Jesus used real similar language that uh, whatever you've done for the least of these, uh, you've done to him. And, and really for Christian worship, that's always true. When you're generous, when you serve, when you love, and it's for Jesus, it's actually as if you did it to him. And you may not have thought of that when you just helped somebody out that had a need, uh, that when you did that, it was as if giving to Jesus, and it was so beautiful to him. I just think that's really neat. Uh, Proverbs 13, 22. 
This is more on the saving note. It says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, uh, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. So you have this juxtaposition of these two things. And this is often the case with, um, with wisdom-y talk in Proverbs, is that, okay, so you got the good man, that's the wise man, um, on the one hand, and you've got the sinner, the sinner over here, the unwise, the fool, and there's two different things to do. One is going to leave an inheritance that they're not going to spend all their money on them. They're going to uh, pass on some of that accumulated wealth to give their children and their children's children a good start. The other person's like, eh, I ain't worrying about any of them. I'm gonna spend money on myself, which is that same impulse that could get you into debt, um, that would cause you to not be generous, to see God's kingdom expand, to meet needs, to serve the poor, and all these things. It all comes from the same heart. Um, it's a beautiful thing uh, to save money and to give your children a good start in life, um, if you can. And even reversing cycles of generational poverty, even uh, even by getting out of debt and even a little bit a little bit of cash to get going in life is a beautiful thing. But again, these things are just whispering about the heart. Um, it's like, hey, am I going to spend money on myself? Am I going to get on into debt and spend it on me? Am I going to not give? Am I, I'm going to get mad when preachers talk about it and anybody else talks about it because it's mine, you know, that thing. And even our, our fist being clenched is telling us something. And that's why God enters into these tender spots. It's like, let's talk about that, man. Let's talk about, there's lots of different kinds of bondage with money. Debt's one kind, but even a spiritual kind, we're like, I'm not giving it to anybody. I've worked for it. It's mine. And, um, and Jesus is like, that's interesting because I willingly gave my life for you I, 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 to the point of death uh, to reconcile you. And I've been generous um, all the way to the end. And I've been resurrected from the dead uh, so that you would know there's no life here, man. This is a dead end, um, living for money and what it can uh, provide for you. Um, I love that. And are we, this is a path. Are we gonna serve others with our money? Are we gonna serve God with our money or is it all about me? It's this path of wisdom. And even that last part of that verse is the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. And wisdom talk. I mean, there's only two paths. And it's basically saying the sinner, the unwise person, don't worry, that money will end up in someone that's wise with money's hands soon enough. I mean, that other kind of proverb that says, uh, you know, a fool and his money are soon parted, um, that there, there's some real reality to that. People that are good with it will have it in their possession soon enough. And so um, rather, let's be wise with it. And that's really what it's calling, uh, calling us to. Okay, now let's talk third category, which I'm just going to describe as the long game. Third category is the long game. And Proverbs just kind of widens out the lens and hits us with some perspective. So here we go. Proverbs 13, 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Um, this is interesting. Um, more or less what this is saying is oftentimes when you come into a lot of money, which is most of our fantasy in this room, right, is that you hit the lotto, uh, you sign that NBA contract, you, whatever, you know, there's a massive inheritance from some uncle you didn't know about that gave you $30 million, something like that. Like that's most of our fantasy in this room is that you like uh, call in rich uh, this week from work, you know, that kind of thing. And so... Uh, but what's interesting is, is it almost always works out poorly. Like it, when it, whenever wealth is gained really hastily, um, it tends to dwindle. Like you can, there's Netflix documentaries on this of like a good, good percentage of athletes that maybe didn't grow up with a lot of money that get, get like tens of millions of dollars on a pro contract uh, not long after their retirement, like it's gone, you know? There's other studies on lottery winners, same thing. Even if they win the $15 million Powerball or whatever, you know? Like the, they, they end up with nothing in almost no time. 
And um, it's tempting to only look at those things. But I have a friend who's a financial planner and he helped really start Redeemer back in the day. And I was with him, you know, when we were younger as he was starting his financial planning business. And early on, he thought like one of his main niches was gonna be doctors. And I'm, this one may leave a mark um, a little bit because, but my wife's a doctor. So, you know, please hear this in love is that he learned real quick. He's like, oh no, I'm not, I'm not gonna chase doctors because they're awful with money. Uh, and here's the reason. It's gonna be the same, same basic principle is that, you know, ramen noodle, ramen noodle, ramen noodle, like, you know, college, med school, you got nothing, you got nothing, even a residency, you got nothing. And then all of a sudden, depending on your specialty, blam, all this money, right? And, uh, and then you're like, oh, uh, more house than I should get into, you know, perfect car, perfect car, uh, this, 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 incredible vacations. And before you know it, again, um, you're enslaved to debt even though, even though um, you're making a lot of money. And so there's a lot of different ways that this can play out, uh, but this is just saying, be careful. Like I would say this, if you do run into a lot of money, um, just know that this is a principle, it's not a promise, and money can tend to walk out your pockets real quick when it comes in a big bunch, especially if you haven't learned how to manage it in a smaller level. Like you immediately need to bring in some help and get people to help you think through that wisely so that this doesn't happen to you. And uh, this is a call again for those of you that are like, well, don't worry about it because I ain't got nothing, is that this is a beautiful thing to learn, uh, learn to handle and be faithful with a little bit um, right now so that when, when that income grows, you handle it wisely with your saving, with your giving, and uh, with how you engage debt. Okay, let's keep moving. Um, it's good fun, isn't it? Uh, so let's look at, um, here's another one, Proverbs 12, 9. Better to be lowly and have a servant uh, than to play the great man and lack bread. So what this would be talking about would be uh, the proverbial North Dallas uh, $50,000 a year millionaire. All right, so here's how this works. Is somebody is uh, making $50,000 a year and they live in Addison, uh, but then they've got uh, loads of friends who drive BMWs and they may be millionaires, who knows? Uh, there's a lot of pressure to, gosh, I need to drive a really nice car and I need a, I need a, I need a really nice, uh, nice clothes and all the designer stuff and we need to live in the right neighborhood. And so you're, you're, um, you don't make a lot of money, but you're trying to act like you do. This proverb is saying it would be better to be the millionaire that's driving a 2013 Suburban and kind of scaled it back. You have more money than you're living. It'd be better to do that than to be the $50,000 a year millionaire that's trying to act like you're a millionaire when you've got a $50,000 a year salary. And so uh, this is just to get a bit of a warning of saying, hey, take the low road and you don't need to live above your means and sometimes even living beneath your means for the sake of meeting needs, generosity, the service of God's global kingdom. There's something really beautiful about that. Again, this is real talk. Uh, real talk here from Solomon while he's talking with, uh, with his kids about how to, how to engage money. Um, the rich and the poor, here's one from Proverbs 22, uh, verse two. Um, the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Um, I love this, um, that um, the Fortune 500 CEO and the homeless person are gonna appear before God empty-handed, uh, no resume, uh, no, uh, no net worth statements, and no career accomplishments. You're gonna stand before God with empty hands. And, and at that time, it's either going to be that you put your hope in Jesus through his death and resurrection that reconciled you with God. It's all that's going to matter. None of your accomplishments. In 100 years, no one will care anyways. All of us, this is very humbling, whether you've got a lot or a little or anywhere in between where most of us land, we're, we stand before God with empty hands. Uh, we also 
stand before him. And you think about Solomon got really, was really wealthy and it actually ended up kind of corroding him. It's interesting. The guy that gave us all this advice didn't listen to it. Um, and um, between sex and money, it ended up ruining him a lot. But you had Jesus and many of the prophets and many of the apostles that had nothing. And all, but all of us, those things don't matter. It's, we're gonna stand before God someday. This is just that long game, that perspective. Finally, one last verse uh, from Proverbs that gets to the heart of this all. How much better it, to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. And in other words, wisdom is more valuable. The thing we think we want and need is money and more of it in some amount uh, because it will give us more comfort. Maybe people will think, oh, she's that big donor. Ooh, we need to, you know, whatever. Like we think it'll give us the things we want, uh, but rather uh, what this is saying is that more valuable than any gold or silver or any accumulated wealth is rather than that is, um, is going to be um, wisdom. And we know the thesis statement of Proverbs Proverbs 1.7, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And so um, that, that being wise and loving God and trusting God is more valuable than all accumulated wealth that you can imagine. And, and it's a good thing that God actually wants to help us instead of screaming at you and letting you run your life. And even though this is a, a sensitive topic, he says, let's just talk about it though. I, I want that heart. Like that, that's the thing I'm interested in here. I want, I want you to know the freedom that comes from trusting me more than cash more than anything else. And I actually want to free you from bad decisions. So I want to conclude with the verses that, um, that Johanna read at the very beginning. So this is Jesus now in the book of Matthew. So check this out. Um, it'll, it'll, feel, it'll feel real wisdomy. It's this or this, which is it going to be? And it really calls the question for all of us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but rather, so that'd be the way of folly, right? but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And here it is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. So what you love, uh, that's where your treasure is. And then it pulls together in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, which is it gonna be? For either you'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And what are those two masters? Here you go. You cannot serve both God and money. And you're gonna think you could game the system and kind of, well, I kind of like both of them. Can't we all be friends? You're gonna have an ultimate allegiance to one. You're gonna be devoted ultimately to one over and against the other, but what's it gonna be? Is it gonna be God or is it gonna be money? And what God is kind enough to say is, look, money will only enslave you um, whenever you worship it, either in accumulating it or getting into the debt um, or hoarding it or whatever the case would be. And he's saying, look, man, I want you to know the joy. I want you to know the joy in money being in its right orbit. And yeah, we're gonna make it and we're gonna save it and we're gonna give it and we're gonna, we've got budgets and we, yeah, we've got all those things. We're gonna work, we're gonna do all of that. Uh, but rather Jesus is our deepest allegiance. He's our deepest love. And he's calling you into freedom and joy is what he's doing over this cup of coffee while he communicates with you. So I'm gonna pray that these things would grip our heart and we'd be liberated and free uh, by the blood of Jesus and even in wise decision-making. Let me pray. Um, Lord, would you, um, would you give us that gift of being able to do that and live that way, but even believe that way at the heart. Um, Lord, let it be so. And even including for those that have never trusted you, that there'd be something so compelling. Uh, maybe money hasn't been their point of bondage, but it's other things. And um, this better way that you're pointing to in the Bible and the freedom that the cross provides would be experienced by them today too. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.